Hello, and welcome to Policy and Justice. Today, we're going to be discussing Stingray surveillance. Stingray surveillance is a tool used by law enforcement to monitor cell phone communication in a more invasive manner. Caitlin Reif, a graduate student in the Radford University Criminal Justice Program, will be sitting down with our guest, George Joseph, from Demos. Demos is a public policy organization working for equal say in democracy and our economy. They'll be sitting down and discussing Stingray surveillance, what it is, what it can do, and some of the controversies associated with it. Caitlin, welcome today. Our guest is Mr. George Joseph, a fellow at Demos. Demos is a public policy organization that operates under the belief and understanding that all Americans have an equal say in our democracy and should have an equal chance in the American economy. Demos collaborates with changemakers to start the conversation about social and public issues in the United States. Our topic that we will be discussing today is Stingray Surveillance, something that Mr. Joseph has written about recently. So Mr. Joseph, welcome to Mistaken Justice. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. How are you doing today? I'm good. <laughs> Just sipping some tea. It's a nice day. Can you tell us a little bit about Stingray Surveillance? Sure. Um, so Stingrays are devices that um, police and law enforcement and previously sort of more military and the intelligence kind of community used to um, gather uh, data from people's phones in nearby locations. Um, so what they do is they masquerade, they're, they're sort of boxes um, about the size of a suitcase that masquerade as nearby cell phone towers and trick your phone into connecting to them. And through this connection, um, they exploit all sorts of data from you, um, such as your location and your metadata, as in who you're calling and who you're texting and who you're receiving calls from and who you're um, receiving texts from. And certain versions of them are also able to capture the content of your um, calls, although technically that's not something domestically law enforcement is supposed to use them for. Your article in The Atlantic regarding this type of surveillance found that in its application there were some racial disparities. Can you speak on that a little bit and set up some background for that? Sure. Um, so in cities across the country we see that, you know, policing itself, um, the nature of it tends to disproportionately occur in low-income and non-white uh, neighborhoods. And in part, that's because there are um, more types of crime that police tend to go after in those neighborhoods and um, sort of leave out other types of crime that are happening in other neighborhoods, such as wage theft, white-collar crime, that kind of thing. And so because of the increased uh, 
police presence in these neighborhoods and increased policing in general. Uh, along with that comes a sort of parallel increase in the kinds of uh, surveillance technologies deployed in pursuit of um, criminal investigations. And so what we found um, for that Atlantic piece you're referring to is that these stingray tools tended to be deployed much more often in black communities in particular and more in general speaking in low-income communities where heavier policing um, is generally the case already. So in your experience, based on your knowledge, do you believe that law enforcement agencies utilizing this type of technology have started or at least tried to reconcile these disparities specific to stingray surveillance? I don't know of any examples in which law enforcement has tried to reconcile these disparities. Um, from the law enforcement perspective, their thought process is, hey, we're going to go after crime wherever it's reported. Um, and so even though stingrays by their very nature are tools that not only capture the information of a device that police are interested in, but also hundreds to thousands of those um, nearby that device, law enforcement tends to focus on getting what it wants, what it wants in the criminal investigation with less concern potentially for the other types of collateral data that are being collected from other citizens in the vicinity. Can you expand maybe on what you mean by collateral data? Sure. So when a stingray is deployed um, in pursuit, say, of um, someone accused of a robbery, let's say, while the tool will be able to gather information that can then be used to locate the phone of that person suspected of the robbery, it will also collect information on the phones of all those, um, let's say, within about a 250-foot radius of that of that phone, and sometimes more. Um, and so, if it's a very packed area, such as like a dense um, dense residential community, something like that. Uh, you're going to have a lot of phones just because people live in that area um, having their data scooped up from the sky uh, without uh, the residents necessarily knowing of this. And this raises constitutional questions, obviously, because the courts have long said that searches into people's homes require, um, you know, some kind of search warrant with probable cause and currently stingray deployments in most states don't necessarily um, include that kind of legal process. Okay, perfect. To set some background knowledge, how long specifically have you been looking into or researching or writing about this type of surveillance? So about the last uh, year. Okay. So some of the research that we have gone into, of course, uh, the articles written about it, um, the conversations that are happening with this type of surveillance have, of course, raised a lot of issues with constitutionality. So how can this type of surveillance, and you even mentioned a 200 plus foot radius to maybe whatever subject they're deploying this type of technology to gain information about, how can this be used without a warrant or it, what is the warrant policy concerning this use of technology? Do you, can you speak on that at all? 
Again, a little bit, although I'm not a legal expert by any means. Okay. Um, so historically, because being raised, which as, as, as far as we know, have been sort of used um, by law enforcement domestically since the mid-2000s at least, um, it was shrouded in so much secrecy due to non-disclosure agreements struck between um, manufacturers such as Harris Corporation, law enforcement themselves, and the FBI, uh, such that few people knew about the acquisition of these devices. And as a result, um, few people knew, knew to be asking questions about their use in regard to criminal cases. Um, but because of um, work from attorneys, defendants, and interested sort of investigative journalists, um, police have increasingly had to admit the use of these kinds of tools, which in the past they have been sort of hiding the use of by referring to them, for example, as uh, pen register devices, which are an older type of tool that do some of the same things as stingrays, such as um, capturing information about calls going in and out of the phone, uh, but don't actually do all the same sort of types of data collection, such as figuring out where someone's phone is geographically. Um, police will also sometimes uh, claim that Stingray uh, data has been gathered from, for example, a confidential source, which will lead judges to think that either some other type of older fashion device is being used or a, uh, like a human source is being used. Um, when in reality, these devices um, were giving law enforcement the information all along. So. Because of that secrecy, um, for a long time, there in many jurisdictions, there wasn't necessarily a robust legal apparatus to ensure that um, this data, which is being effectively sucked out of air often from people um, sitting in would-be constitutionally protected zones, such as their homes or their cars, um, are, are now finally starting to uh, receive calls from lawmakers, both at the state and federal level, to be requiring um, more probable cause, more serious warrants, rather than what has been previously used, as I referred to earlier, which are called the pen register orders, which um, only require that law enforcement prove uh, reasonable suspicion that the criminal action is related to their investigation. Okay. I definitely will agree that, that a term to use when we're talking about this type of technology, secrecy, is absolutely applicable in this case. Um, in our research, when we started looking into this technology type, we found that the FBI, um, other federal agencies, uh, have actually had several non-disclosure agreements applied to mm -hmm. the use of this technology to the point mm -hmm. where we actually read about some criminal trials that were dropped mm -hmm. in order yep. to protect this technology. Do you know uh -huh. um, how many agencies actually are using this type of technology? How widespread is this type of surveillance in the United States? I would say that at this point most major urban police departments have them, and that's just a guess based on um, a story I did for the Atlantic surveying with public records across the top 50 largest police departments across the country and saying that a majority either had these devices or refused to 
disclosed information about the devices they had, in addition to sort of investigations from other media outlets which have found um, these devices having been spread to departments across the country. So chances are if you live in a big American city today, your police department's going to have this tool. Wow. Okay. So in your opinion, if this is so widespread throughout the country, why is there not a stronger outcry against its use, or at least a stronger movement towards making sure this is regulated with proper warrants and uh, used properly? Mm, that's a good question. Well, I think it, it's you know taken several years for this issue to really seep into the public consciousness because, as I mentioned, police have not been transparent about the acquisition of these tools. The FBI has done its best to keep their sort of proliferation as secret as possible, and judges have not really understood that um, the cases they're overseeing have involved the use of these tools. Um, that secrecy coupled with the fact that these tools are being used on populations uh, generally that are lower income, non-white, and tend to have less traditional political capacity in terms of sort of pool with elected officials and wealth to kind of influence elections. It maybe would suggest that um, the people who are being most affected by this, the most uh, poor and vulnerable and over-police in our society, while doing their best to uh, highlight this issue, don't necessarily have the political prominence to change um, police practices around, uh, around these devices. Perfect. So in your opinion, as you've written about this topic for a year, over a year, um, what do you think is the next step with Stingray surveillance, or at least policy making in terms of its use? Well, because of the organizing and activist efforts, which I did sort of mention, are being done at a local level across the country, we are starting to see that state legislatures in places like Utah and Illinois and all, all over the country are sort of moving to change the law so that police actually have to be clear to judges about what they're using and to get uh, probable cause search warrants to use Stingrays. So that seems to be the direction we're moving in. Recently, as well, the federal government claimed that its agencies are going to only be um, using Stingrays with probable cause warrants, I believe. So that does seem to be the direction we're moving in, although it's happening fairly slowly <laughs> and by far uh, the vast majority of law enforcement jurisdictions in this country still are not being held accountable to those kind of legal standards. What can we as individuals do in terms of the potential to be monitored by this type of surveillance and awareness about this? What can we, what would be your advice to the regular everyday Joe about this type mm -hmm. of surveillance? I think the first thing is that a lot of people just don't know about the use of these tools in their local communities. And what I would suggest is that just like journalists use Freedom of Information Act and public records requests all the time 
everyday citizens should be using that um, public power they have as well. Um, and so anyone can request from their local police department records of spending on these devices. Anyone can request um, records of the use of these devices and from there start to see how these devices are affecting um, parts of their communities, how their tax dollars are being spent, and start to initiate conversations about um, how law enforcement should be um, using these tools vis-a-vis -vis the Constitution. Absolutely. Very true. Thank you so much for your time and for um, bringing some awareness to this issue that we, as everyday citizens, should be concerned about. From listening to our guest, George Joseph, we've learned that Stingray surveillance is a fairly guarded secret within law enforcement. Stingray surveillance, hopefully, will be a more widespread issue and people will begin to talk, talk more about it and try to do something regarding policies and procedures for law enforcement to follow. Thank you for listening to Policy and Justice. We hope you'll join us next time when we discuss more issues regarding policy, procedures, and crimes that affect everyone, but are seldom talked about.